All right, let's go ahead and look at 1 Peter together. We're right in the middle of the book. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, the book of 1 Peter began to make a transition from an explanation of the gospel, chapter 1, and then sort of into chapter 2, and then partway through chapter 2, Peter made a transition in his letter. He wrote this letter uh, just about two years before he was killed for preaching the gospel and being a Christian. He wrote this letter to, and he sent it out to churches all over the region. Uh, He was in Rome at the time that he wrote that, and it went out to many, many Christians in that region, and he wanted to encourage them in the faith. So he, he starts by explaining the gospel and what Jesus has done, and then he switches to how do we apply that? What is the practical outworking of the gospel in our lives? And you might remember about two weeks ago, I warned you. I warned you that Peter gets real serious about following Jesus real quickly. This book is not for a casual Christian. It's not for the faint of heart Christian. It's for those of us who have met Jesus, who know that he's God and know that he's worthy of all of our, everything that we have and that we should live our lives in radical obedience to him. And he lays down what radical obedience looks like. And so last week, I preached a message called, He Said the S Word, because Peter, just out of nowhere, goes into vulgarities and obscenities, and he says the S Word, which is submission. One of the most offensive words to modern minds. The the idea that we as individuals would have to submit to anybody is offensive. And worst of all, he tells us first, to submit to the governing authorities over us, the governor, um, and the government. And what was interesting is he even goes as far, you know, he was under the rule of an emperor, this guy named Nero, and Nero was an evil man. He was far worse. I won't won't name contemporary politicians uh, out of sensitivity that there may be differing views in this room, but whoever you think the worst is, Nero was worse. Nero was a a terrible emperor. In fact, Nero was the one who would have Peter executed for being a Christian. Peter said, submit to him. Submit to the governing authorities. And then he goes into another hot topic, and he talks about slavery. And he says, slaves, submit to your masters. Now, that's a whole big thing. And we talked a little bit about that last week, but there's a lot more to it than what we talked about last week. But just know that's a big thing, and there it's a... There's just a lot to that subject. And now he's really going to push the boundaries. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 says, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Verse 7, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with the weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. I suspect like me and most of our modern affiliates in this world, when you hear those words, you're like, boy, this is a lot. There's a lot going on here. There's a, what are the implications of this? What is the true meaning of this? And it's quite foreign to the way we think today. So to, to get to where we understand this and how we apply this in 2020 and what this should look like in our own marriages and, and, and whatever the implications beyond that are, I want to lay down three foundational truths. Now, normally we'd have a handout for you, and I apologize. There was a miscommunication on my part. We did We did not get the handouts printed and brought here today. But if you'll pretend you have a handout, there will be some things that pop up on the screen that if you were following along, you could fill in some blanks. There are three foundational truths, okay? We're going to talk about three foundational truths, and then we're going to come back to this text 
and break it down verse by verse. The three foundational truths begin with this. The first one, God is a God of order. He gives authority and he assigns roles according to his will for his creation. Think about that for a minute. God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. One of the, if you look at in the Old Testament, there's a book called the book, the book of Judges. It was a period of time in Israel's history when they, before they had a king and they were ruled by what were called judges, much different than how we might think of a judge today. They were basically leaders. They were sort of military, sometimes spiritual leaders, but it was really a time of chaos in Israel's history. And there's this line that comes up again and again in the book where it says, in those days, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And it was a horrible time in Israel's history. God is not interested in everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. God is not interested perhaps even in consulting how we think this world should be run. He's God. He knows best. He has a plan. And he has created this world. He is a God of order. And and as part of that, he gives authority And he assigns roles according to his will. And it's his right to do that because this is his creation. If you're a homeowner, I assume that you have some rules that you prefer the people inside your home to live by. If you're uh, like me, a dad, uh, particularly of teenagers, good luck enforcing those rules. But you have the concept of how you'd like your creation, your world to be run, right? Right? And you have the right to do so. Well, this is God's world. And so he has a plan. And according to that plan, he gives authority and assigns roles. Let me say a couple of things about that. All people, all people, we're in this, and where we're at in 1 Peter, we're focused on wives, although husbands are going to come into play very significantly before we leave here today. We're focused on wives. But all people, male and female, are instructed to submit to the authorities God has placed them under. Even Jesus submitted to authority. Jesus submitted to authority. He submitted himself to unjust authority when he was on the earth. He submitted himself to those who would crucify him. And he also submitted himself to God the Father within the relationship of the Trinity. Jesus submits himself to the Father. We see an example of this in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus is arrested. He's praying and he's like, He's praying to his father, and he's saying, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to achieve salvation, if there's any other way to make your creation right again, if there's any other way for us to do this. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He submits himself to the Father. So even though to us, submission often sounds like a bad thing, why, would, why should we have to submit? It's a reality of, of God's creation. And that Jesus himself sets an example for us and that he submits. And everybody has to submit to somebody. You remember that old timey song, everybody's got to serve somebody. We all submit. So it would behoove us to do it properly and to submit according to God's plan. Jesus paid taxes. Remember that story? The disciples are like, Please, Jesus, tell us we don't have to pay taxes. I mean, how many of you today would love it if if we opened the Bible and the Bible said, hey, don't pay taxes, stop paying taxes. Jesus is like, nope, we're paying taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. He submitted himself. That's my point. Everybody has to submit. Even though this passage is specifically about wives, let's not lose sight of that, okay? And that's because God is a God of order. Let me show you in Genesis 1, 26 through 31, at the very beginning of creation, when God makes the very first human being, we see the example set of submission and authority. In Genesis 1, starting verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God's got a plan. He's like, I'm going to put man at the top of the food chain. He's going to be, he's going to rule over creation, okay? So God created man in his own image. Nothing else in creation is created in the image of God but man. Created him in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. 
God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, I love, I love when stoners are like, hey, God said we have every, every plant. Well, he, like, he didn't say, like, roll it up and smoke it in a joint. He just said, like, it's there for you to eat, you know, the things that are appropriate, right? <laughs> this will be food for you for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and for every creature that crawls on the earth, every, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Listen to verse 31. God saw all that he had made, everything he created and the order that he created it in and the plan that he had. God saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning the sixth day. So God, this God of order, sets up his creation the way he wants it to be. He fills it with amazing creatures and then he creates one of those creatures in his own image. And he creates them male and female in his image. And he says, rule over this earth. Now, when we do that properly, it's extremely God-glorifying and beautiful. That's the way God designed it. When we do it improperly, it brings harm and it brings destruction and it does not glorify God. There's a right way and a wrong way to rule over the creation. But the point I'm trying to make mostly today is that God created his world to have order. Second, men and women are created equal before God, equally loved, equally valuable, equally important in his plan. That you have to see when we come to difficult passages of scripture, if you would if you would define 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, the, our text for today. If you would define that as difficult, some of you would, some of you wouldn't. When we come to difficult passages of Scripture, we need to understand that difficult portion in the context of all of Scripture. And from beginning to end, the Bible affirms that men and women are created equal before God. They're equally loved, they're equally valued, and they are equally important in His plan. It does not mean they have the same authority in different Relationships does not mean they have the same roles, but they are equal in all of these things. God, in other words, God does not think one sex is better than the other, and that one is more important than the other, or that one is more useful in his plan than the other. We're equal in all of these things. That goes back to verse 27 of Genesis 1. We don't have to put that up might be hard to find it. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. He doesn't say, I created one of them in my image, and then the other one is, is just there to serve that one. He creates us equal, equally in his image. Okay, so God is a God of order. Men and women are created equal before God. And then this is the third foundational truth. God places the responsibility of leadership in the church and in the home on men. That's equally true in Scripture. That's consistent throughout Scripture that God replaces the responsibility of leadership in the church and in the home on men. Let me talk scripturally for a minute uh, of where we see that. Genesis 2, uh, none of these will come up on the screen, but we see God places Adam in the garden to work it, and he gives the woman to be his helper. Now, that's not a derogatory word in the Scriptures. God himself identifies throughout the Old Testament in several places as our helper. So if you are going to view, if you're going to say that Eve was created as Adam's helper, that's a derogatory thing, then you're going to have to, because that means that she's somehow underneath him, you're, that means you're also going to have to say that somehow God is underneath men and women because he himself defines himself and reveals himself as our helper. So it's not meant to be a derogatory idea, though some of us may interpret it that way, okay? But God places Adam in the garden, and he says, work this garden, take creation and make it even better. That's God's intention for man. And I don't know, you know, what all he envisioned, but here we are thousands of years later, and, and in many ways, we have made creation better. And in some ways, we've perhaps 
been destructive in how we've managed creation. But look at what we've done. We've, we've been engineers and we've created things that didn't exist in the beginning and we've taken it and we've stewarded his creation and tried to make it even better. That was his intention. And, he, and he, it's, it's a really interesting story if you read Genesis 2 because before God creates Eve, the first woman, he's got Adam and he's like, look, dude, I know you need somebody. You need a helper. You need a partner. You need somebody with you in this, right? And so he's like, let's find you a helper. And I think he's kind of, God might be messing with Adam a little bit because he starts bringing all the animals by. And like one by one, he brings the animals by. And Adam's got to be like, what's up, man? Like, animals, really? And, uh, and then after all the animals come by and Adam's named them and all that stuff, God causes a- Adam to go to sleep. And out of Adam, he forms the first woman. Imagine the, the beauty the, of that moment when they first opened their eyes and realized what God was doing. This was an incredible, incredible scene in the garden, and it was meant to be beautiful, and it was. In Ephesians 5, which we preached last fall, you can go back and listen um, to how we handled this text uh, in the fall if you'd like. It says that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Okay, so headship means leadership. It means responsibility, okay? Okay. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul says, but I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man. So sometimes one of the arguments here is that women are like, well, why, why aren't men having to submit to anybody? Men absolutely have to submit to lots of people. First and foremost, Christ. Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. There's, there again, we see Jesus is in submission to God the Father. There's an order of things is the point here. And God has placed the responsibility of leadership in the church and the home on men. This is what Dennis Rainey says. Dennis Rainey wrote this great book called Preparing for Marriage. I've taken dozens of couples through it in preparation uh, for their wedding day. And he talks about how God created men and women and the roles and the responsibilities and the response that we are to have to each other in marriage. He says this, and I want you to hear this because this is the heart of, of this truth, this third foundation of truth. He says, a husband's leadership in marriage is not based on superior abilities, but on divine placement. It's not because he's better. It's because God has placed him in that position. Leadership means assuming responsibility for the relationship. Men, listen closely. Being accountable to God and putting your wife's needs above your own. It means making her load lighter, not heavier. So, to you husbands who are like, finally, we got to 1 Peter 3. Tell her, tell her what she's supposed to be doing. That's not the heart of 1 Peter 3. I believe Dennis Rainey captures it. It means making her load lighter, not heavier. It means helping her develop and utilize her gifts and abilities. It means loving her sacrificially. And Jesus sets the example for us in that. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 5, when he said, wives submit to your husbands, he also said, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Oh, he died for her. He gave his life for her. He put her needs 100% above his. He pursued her good in everything that he did. Husbands, love your wives in that way. We're going to get to the husbands at the end. I got to save some of that. I got to save some of that for the end, all right? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Okay, so those are the three foundational truths. I do want to talk to wives because this passage is directed towards wives. In, 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 I, I get, I'll come back to that later. Okay, so he, let's go back to our text now. 1 Peter chapter 3, wives submit to your husbands, okay? Let's, look at, let's break this down verse by verse. The first point I want to make, wives are called to honor God's plan for his creation by submitting to their husband's leadership. We see that in verse 1 of chapter 3. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Submission means to to willingly submit to your husband's leadership in your marriage and in your family. It means to willingly submit to his leadership, okay? It, It can't mean anything else but that. That's what submission means. It means to allow him to take the lead. Allow him to take the responsibility. Allow him to, to be the leader in your family. That's, that's challenging for some. 
It's not all that uncommon for a man and woman to find each other where the man is just naturally more submissive and the woman is naturally just takes leadership. And in the Christian marriage, that has to be dealt with. In a non-Christian marriage, I don't know if it, it matters. The greatest need in a non-Christian marriage is for them first to find salvation in Christ, and then perhaps these other things will follow. But in the Christian marriage, which I assume most of the marriage is represented here today, that might be a struggle. I mean, to be honest with you, most of the time for Kim and I, um, she's, she's more than happy uh, to take the submissive role. Now, that's because she has, like, this fantastic husband I mean, he is just doing such a great job at, at, at loving the way Christ loves the church. So it's easier in that sense. But, but honestly, if I, can just, if I can just be a little bit vulnerable, that's, we're just naturally wired that way a little bit. Not every relationship's like that. If you're a woman and you're like, but I really want to lead. I really want to be the one that takes responsibility here. And plus, he doesn't want to do it anyhow. 1 Peter 3 still stands true. God is a God of order. He wants the husband to lead. That means the woman has to let him. It doesn't mean, here's what submission doesn't mean, and this is important because this is dangerous stuff. If this isn't understood and applied properly, the results can be devastating. And there's no doubt in my mind there are some women in this room who have suffered those devastating results in a relationship in the past. Not because I'm thinking of anybody in particular, but just numerically speaking. It doesn't mean, one, that you follow him into sin. We never submit by following someone into sin. We talked about that last week when we talked about submission to government. The government, uh, Peter, who wrote this, who's telling believers to submit to the government, even though it's not a godly government, also knew where to draw the line. Earlier uh, in his life and in his ministry, he was instructed by government leaders to stop preaching the gospel. And he said, I can't do that. I have to decide if I'm going to listen to you or I'm going to listen to God. And so in matters of sin and in matters of obeying Christ, we do not submit and follow someone in authority over us, whether that's a government or whether that's a husband or whoever that is. We do not submit in following them into sin. Okay, So submission does not mean that. Submission does absolutely not mean you are less or your needs or wants or dreams mean less. If he's doing it right... And not every husband will. And in fact, no husband will do it right all of the time. If he's doing it right, your needs will take precedent. But regardless of whether or not he's doing it right, 1 Peter 3 says, and we'll see this in a minute, because Peter says, even if your husband's not a believer, and we assume in that case he's not doing this well, if your husband's not a believer, still submit, because that might win him over. We'll get to that. That's the next point. Uh, I'm thinking, I think of a time, you know, I just, again, I, you know, I don't know if this is helpful, but just to, to put some, some skin on this and, and give you some examples of how this has played out. There was a time uh, earlier in Kim and I's marriage when I was feeling called to make a change in the ministry that I was in. And we went and we actually interviewed at another church in another state, and they in, invited me to come and be their pastor. And I was, I was stoked. I was like, man, I I think this is it. I want to go do this. I was really excited about the opportunity. And we came home from that trip, and I was like, babe, what are you thinking? And she said, I just don't feel right about it. And I was like, well, that's it then. We're done. We're done talking about it. If she didn't feel right about it, I trusted that God was, was although he was leading through me, although it was my responsibility to make that decision, when I knew she didn't feel right about it, that was enough for me. Now, I'm not saying there would never be a time where she would say that and I might, I might say, but I, I'm just going to have to trust God to work on her because I think I'm convinced that's where we need to go. But in that case, I was like, that's it. If she's got a check in her spirit about this, then, then I'm good. I don't even need to pursue it. And, and, and that ended up, without question, being the right decision in the end. It, it kept us in a place that we needed to be for some things that were about to happen in our lives after that. We would have been several hours away from family when our daughter was born with a brain injury. I was completely unprepared to lead a church, and that was the position. It was a lead pastor position. I mean, there were so many things that I look back. My theology wasn't even developed to the point where, where when I look back, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I just, I just ugh, it was, ugh, you know, and, 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 I, and I just think, you know, that was my decision to make. The responsibility was on me. 
but I consulted with her, and, and I knew she didn't feel good about it, and so I didn't feel good about it, okay? So that's what I mean when I say, you know, just, just because you're in a submissive role, uh, wives, doesn't mean that your needs, your wants, your dreams, and all that don't matter, okay? That's not what that means. All right, um, this doesn't mean you don't have a voice or an opinion or that you can't disagree. This doesn't mean you don't, you're not allowed to argue, um, <laughs> you know, let's, let's just be real about that, okay? This, I just want to, hopefully that's assumed, but I want to say that because, uh, listen, in the back of my head when I talk about stuff like this, I know men who have taken scriptures like this and have literally spiritually abused their wives, and I hate that, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how much Jesus hates that and how he wants to throat punch dudes that do that and stuff. We'll, we'll get to some of that, okay? But I'm saying all this just to make sure I'm clear. I'm using a lot of words, but I want to be clear. This does not mean you have to submit to every man. This is, this is a command, wives, to submit to your husband's leadership and authority in your family and in your marriage. That doesn't mean that every man you run into in the street has authority over you. It's been applied that way at certain times in certain cultures. Still today, it's applied that way in certain cultures. That's not, that's not biblical. That's not what this says, okay? Um, and it certainly doesn't mean that you should surrender to abuse. I think... Although we're going to talk about what to do, briefly talk about what to do if your husband's not a believer and he's maybe not leading you in a Christ-like way and all that, there's a line that is abuse. Now, how do we define abuse and when is it abuse and all that? Uh, you do not have to submit to abuse, especially physical abuse, but I think emotional and spiritual abuse are extremely damaging too. So this is not a call to submit to abuse. All right, so that's, that's 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 1, and then 1b, well, I have to say the point because this is the way they are on the slides. Um, the next point is this, in some cases, God may even save unbelieving husbands through their wives' submission to God's plan. Sorry, that should be wives with an, an apostrophe S, I see that now. So, in some cases, God may even save unbelieving husbands through their wives' submission to God's plan. Here's, here it is in 1 Peter chapter 3. And after I read this, Bentley, if you'll just put this slide back up so that we have that in front of us. So, I'll read, but follow me as I read this verse. 1b says, So that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure and reverent lives. Wives, if you haven't learned this yet, you have incredible power over your husbands <laughs> in many, many ways. And one of the ways that Peter references here is that you actually could be used, if you have an unbelieving husband and you are a believing wife, God could actually use you. There's no promise here that your husband will come to salvation, but he, in some cases, it says, even if some disobey, they may, they may. They may be won over. It might be your willingness to honor God's plan and God's order, even in a difficult relationship or a difficult situation. And not, that's not to say if your husband's an unbeliever, it's always difficult, but there's certainly an implication of difficulty here. That may be the very thing that God uses him, uses to bring your husband to eternal life. And that's incredible. And if you did nothing else in your life, like, I think you will be pleased with that in eternity, that he's there with you, that he has received eternal life. Um, so wives, use that power. He, he's watching you. Set an example for him. Show him what the Christian life is like. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. Just apologize when you make mistakes. That's what we all have to do. Okay, I'm not trying to lay on you the guilt or you're not, you're certainly not responsible for his, uh, for his relationship with the Lord, but you have an opportunity to be influential. And so take advantage of that and use that. Uh, then he moves on to this. God values inward devotion over outward adornment. Of course, this is true in all things, but specifically he mentions this in regards to women, that he values inward devotion over outward adornment. This is verse Verses 3 and 4. Do not let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. I am, um, 
I'm blessed to have a wife who's both outwardly beautiful and inwardly beautiful. But I think every man learns a lesson, perhaps in his teenage years, that the prettiest girls aren't always the best ones to be with. (laughs) You run into a couple of crazy ones out there, and you're like, man, she's just really attractive and horrible to be around. (laughs) And God values inward devotion over outward adornment as well. And so this is not a prohibition against making yourself beautiful. This is not a prohibition, even though we have to be careful how we interpret this, and you may come to a different conclusion as you look at these verses here, okay? Um, But when he says, don't let your beauty consist of outward things, like elaborate hairstyles, wearing gold, jewelry, or fine clothes, uh, in the Greek, there is actually no word in there for fine. It literally just says, or clothes. And so the translators made a decision that this seems to be talking about fine clothes, but the point, I'm, I, I, the reason I bring that up is because certainly there's no prohibition um, against women wearing clothes. And so by implication, we should assume there's no prohibition either against wearing nice jewelry or having your hair done up. It's just saying, don't put all of your stock in being beautiful on the outside and forget the most important thing is your inward self. The most important thing is your relationship with God, which is an inward thing. It's the type of person that you are and the way that you treat others. Those are inward things. Those cannot be improved by outward adornment. You can put all the jewelry on that you can ever find, and you can get the nicest hairstyle, and you can wear the finest clothes and inwardly just be sick and and undesirable in every way. And so, again, not a prohibition against looking nice. In fact, you know, wives, look nice for your husbands. Um, just, just, that's a good thing. You know, make, you know, make him want to look at you. That's cool. <laughs> we're not hard to, we're really not hard to please. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm saying stupid things. There's just things coming out. <laughs> Let's take a moment and pray. Jesus, help me. Oh. <laughs> uh. Then he says in verse 5, under the same point, under inward devotion to outward adornment, for in the past the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way. In what way? By outward adornment? By fine jewelry? No, by inward devotion. By submitting to their own husbands. By having a, a heart for him. By wanting to see him lead. And wanting to see him succeed in the role that God has placed him in. That's how they adorned themselves. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham. If you're not familiar with Sarah and Abraham, they're, they're sort of like, they're kind of heroes of the faith. They, they trusted God through some difficult things. And, and Peter's saying, look at Sarah as an example. She may not even had access to all of those things. But she, she won her husband over by her attitude towards him. It says, calling him Lord. That doesn't mean you have to call your husband Lord. You can. I mean, I make Kim call me that when we're at home. Not in public. People get weird about it. But at home, uh, it's, one, it's just a require. It's one of the things. You don't have to do that. It's the attitude, right? This is, uh, calling him Lord would also fall, almost fall in the category of outward adornment. It's an outward thing, but it, really it's the heart and how that's expressed that matters. So be like the heroic and godly women who have gone before you and glorify God by your response to your husband. All right, that leaves me a few minutes to talk to husbands. Because this verse, here's what's interesting about 1 Peter chapter, uh, the second half of 2 and this part of, of chapter 3. He, he talks about submission in three areas. And we talked about this last week. Government, um, slaves to masters, and wives to husbands. He, he gives no instruction to government to govern well. He just says, hey, as Christians, we should submit, even if it's difficult, even if they're unjust, we should submit. When he comes to slaves and masters, he gives no instruction to the masters. Like, you you want the Bible to talk to the master. Like, the first thing you want the Bible to say to the masters is like, Stop having slaves, right? Like, but again, there's so much to that subject that doesn't really work out that way. He doesn't, he doesn't even bother addressing the masters. Now, the Bible does. Peter doesn't in this letter specifically, but the Bible speaks to governments and how to govern well, and the Bible speaks to, to masters, uh, how, to be, how to be fair and, and treat 
those under your authority well. The Bible does, but Peter doesn't in this letter. He's totally focused on those who are in the submission part of these roles until he gets to husbands and wives. And I think that speaks to the importance that he places on this particular relationship, the relationship between husbands and wives. And even though he was willing to focus on those who were called to submit in those other categories, he actually comes back to the husbands in this one. So I just think we need to understand that. And wives, you need to be comforted by that. When we looked at, because Ephesians talks about uh, submission in those same No, in two of those same categories, and then the third one is not government, but children to your parents. And what I loved about the way Paul did it in Ephesians was that in every every time he called someone to submit, there was a protection built in for those who were called to submit. That's God's heart. That's the Bible. Peter didn't need to repeat all of that, okay, because Paul had already covered that. But in this case, he wanted to make sure. In this case, he wanted to make sure that we... We understood, husbands, you've got a pretty important role here. So this is the last point I want to make, and um, it might be the longest, so don't get too excited. But the last point is this. Husbands are to lovingly lead their wives and honor them as equals in the kingdom of God. Lovingly lead and honor them as equals, okay? Hank, latch on to those two things. Lovingly lead and honor them as equals. Here's the, here's the verse, verse 7. This is how Peter ends this passage. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let me show you why this is actually really, really great news, okay? Because some of the language is like, I don't know. That's, uh, culturally, there are some things here, Okay. Uh, I already mentioned this one. This is the only time in this section that Peter speaks to the one in the position of authority, okay? And then he, he calls them to lovingly lead, treat her with gentleness. Men are called to lead in the family, but we're called to be servant leaders. We serve those that we're leading. They don't serve us in our needs and wants and desires. We serve them. Jesus set the example for this. He came to earth. What's the Bible say? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and he, and he shows us that not only by going to the cross, which is his ultimate act of submitting and serving those that he came to lead. Jesus is the head of the church. How does he function as the head of the church? He dies for her. He gives his life for her. He submits himself to other authorities so that he can serve her and lovingly lead her. And before he goes to the cross, remember that scene during the Last Supper when Jesus gets down on the, on the ground in front of his disciples and he begins to wash their feet. And he, and he, says, he says it explicitly that he's setting an example for him. He says the, the leaders of the world, the ones who think the way the world thinks, they want everybody that they lead to serve them. In the kingdom of God, it's the leader who serves those who are submitting. And Jesus washes their feet. And remember, Peter's the one who resists that. Peter's like, no, 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 no. You're not washing my feet, Jesus. That's not the way this works. I'll wash your feet, but you're not washing. He's struggling with this. He's wrestling with this concept. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. You have nothing to do with me. And Peter says, oh, Lord, then don't wash my feet. Wash my whole body. And it was Jesus' act of submission and his death on Peter's behalf that radically changes Peter. Peter goes from this guy who hates submission. I pointed that out last week. I won't repeat all of it. We see all these examples in Peter's life when Jesus is alive where he's like, submission? You know, we don't do that. And then Jesus dies for him and he's like, submission. That's the Christian way. That's the Christian way to live. Okay. So lovingly lead her. Men, lovingly lead your wives. Treat them with gentleness. It says here, as with a weaker partner. Again, that's not meant to be derogatory if it sounds that way today. It's not meant to be, it's just, she, she is, she's, she's more vulnerable. She's, she's more subject to, to offense. And you know, this isn't one of your bros. Don't treat your wife like she's one of the guys. You know, guys get together and, you know, we pick on each other and we say things and they're like, hey, you know, hey, Fred, quarantine put a few pounds on you, huh? Don't say that to your wife, you know? 
It's just, don't, don't treat her like just another guy. Treat her as special. Treat her, honor her. Care for her needs in a tender way. Be sensitive to her. Lovingly lead her. Honor her as a co-heir. So we're called to lovingly lead and we're called to honor her as a co-heir. Here's the reality. Is that men, your wives, ultimately have been betrothed or promised to another. Now that's a bizarre concept. And I don't even know what all of that means. It probably doesn't mean the first things that I think of when I think of that. (laughs) But... The reality is, is that we are the bride of Christ being prepared for what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. When Jesus and his church, which is the people of God, are joined together forever and eternity. And so your wife is being prepared to be with Jesus forever. And your role as the servant leader in your home and in your family is to help her prepare to help her become more like the woman that God created her to be so that when she stands before Jesus, he's like a groom at a wedding. And those doors in the back or or wherever you're at open, and he sees his bride. He goes, man, I'm lucky. Look at her. Look at everything she did to get ready. Look at the extravagant effort she put into preparing herself to be my bride. Husbands, that's what we're doing with our wives. We're preparing them. In addition to ourselves, we're preparing them for eternity with Christ. Honor her as a co-heir. And you got to understand, in, in 2,000 years ago, in that world, that was a very foreign idea. The men in the family were the heirs of the inheritance. Jesus says in my kingdom, remember, men and women are created equal. Both image bearers, both are set to inherit eternal life equally. And we are to help them prepare for that. What an unbelievable task. What a beautiful thing to get to be a part of. I'm preparing not only myself, but my wife to be with Christ forever I'm, honor her, her, I'm honoring her as a co-heir. How would we treat our wives differently if we got up every morning and thought this woman's going to inherit the kingdom of heaven? How would you treat your wife differently if you woke up every morning and like, this, this woman's going to inherit Bill Gates' money? I would treat her a little bit differently. I'm making sure she was happy and didn't get mad. I'm like, honey, I want you to stick around, you know? Like, anything I can do for you? Man, they're co-heirs. These women are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Honor them as such. Honor them as princesses in, in the kingdom of heaven. Honor them as, as the most worthy of our respect and our affection and our love and our service as any woman ever could be because that's exactly what they are in Jesus. And then Peter says this, and you might have missed it when I read it earlier. He says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So that your, what the heck does that mean? Here's what I think it means. If you don't honor her, don't expect Jesus to honor you. If he has given you something as precious to him as a a woman who is set to inherit the kingdom of heaven, if he isn't trusted, I mean, I can relate to this as a dad. You know, like I have expectations for any guys that would want to pursue my daughters, right? And so I think. If, if we can kind of, you know, those parallels can be tough sometimes, but if we can kind of draw on that a little bit to say, hey, Jesus gave me this woman to, to honor her and to cherish her and to love her and to respect her and to, to help prepare her for eternity. If I don't do that, what's his reaction to me going to be? It's not going to be honor. It's not like you can treat your wife like garbage and then get down on your knees and pray and say, hey, Jesus, I really want a better job. Or, hey, Jesus, I, we really could use some more money. Or, hey, Jesus, could you do this for me and do that for me? He's going to be like, dude, I don't think so. 
I gave you that woman. Honor her. Cherish her. Love her. Respect her. Protect her. Until you're doing that, don't talk to me about what you need so that your prayers will not be hindered. It's as if Peter is letting us know that a man can hardly be in a right relationship with his Savior if he's not in a right relationship with his wife in terms of honoring her and cherishing her. That's for real, guys. You want, you want Jesus to stick up for you? Stick up for your wife. You want Jesus to honor you? Honor your wife. You want Jesus to take care of your needs? Take care of your wife's needs. That's the way it works. And guys that won't do this and think they're going to get something from Jesus, they're going to get something. I said it earlier, throat punch. Guys that want to take scriptures like 1 Peter 3 and say, this is it. This is the deal, babe. You submit. This is what I require. This is what I need of you. Oh, you don't, you don't want to be intimate tonight? Well, listen, the Bible says submit, and you, you have to do that. Or you don't want to do this, or you don't want to do that. Submit. That's spiritual abuse, and Jesus won't put up with it. He'll have none of that. We're to lovingly lead and to honor them as equals in the kingdom of God. And until we do that... We should not expect much from Jesus so that your prayers not be hindered. I hope those words stick with you this week, men, as you seek to lovingly lead your wives. Not that Jesus is against you, but that he has entrusted something very precious to him into your care. And when you decide, and when we take the, here's what's awesome, is when we take the smallest steps towards obeying him and lovingly leading and honoring our wives, he's there. And he gives us his help and he empowers us to do that. And he joins us in that journey. And he says, I know you can't do it. I know you're weak in your flesh. I know that you're not any good at this. I'm going to help you. So I don't want to give you the impression that Jesus is necessarily against us. I just want to make that point clear that he really values what he has entrusted to you in a Christian marriage. And you should be a good steward of that. Okay, so that sort of wraps up this whole section on submission. Government, uh, submit to our masters. Wives, submit to our husbands. But husbands, don't forget to lovingly lead your wives and honor them. And then we're going to move on now more to some more applications of the gospel. So please continue to tune in. Uh, the cool thing about uh, you know when we put the services online, it's great when you get on at the times that we're on. We're on Saturday nights at 8 and Sunday mornings at 9. It's great that you get on then and you can kind of live chat. And sometimes that gives you a little more of the experience of being together. But if you can't do that, man, you can listen anytime. I think this is an important letter. You know, I don't have any misgivings about my own ability as a preacher. I, I know that it's, it can perhaps be difficult even to stick with it sometimes, but the Word of God is powerful, and I do my best every week to make sure that you get the Word of God as much as possible, okay? And so stick with it. Keep listening. Um, in terms of our future and plans for meeting, it's just like so many things in life, guys, it's just up in the air. We don't know. Um, we've not heard anything back from the school district on, about being able to use Stewart Elementary again. Uh, so I don't expect that to happen anytime soon, although who knows, that could happen. To be honest with you, it's about 40 degrees hotter in that building right now than it is out here. <laughs> so this isn't a bad thing. If you were there last summer, you remember it's hot in the summer. So um, as you're watching online and you're missing everybody, be like, well, you know, I got AC at home. <laughs> um, but as soon as, as soon as we can and as soon as it is, as it is safe, uh, we're trying to be respectful of each other's health and well-being, and so we're going to continue to do that. We'll keep you posted. That's all I can say. We don't know when and where we'll meet next, but we're doing everything we can to get that building. Um, as soon as we know, we have an idea of how much they're going to sell it for, but they have not listed it. As soon as we know, and we, we have some people that are going to go up and look at some projects, and we'll start to get some numbers and a budget. I have a rough idea in my head now, but it won't do any good to talk about that until we get that. We're going to need help. Uh, unless they come in way lower than they told us they were going to, and I don't know why they would. Um, we need help, and we're going to need you guys to pitch in as you're able, okay? Um, 
you know, we're not going not gonna to try to guilt you into that or anything, but if this is your church and you want to see God continue to do his thing and you want to help us reach the 150,000 people that are within 20 minutes of where you're sitting right now with the gospel, many of whom who don't know Jesus Christ as, your, as their Savior, if you want to help continue to be a part of that, um, then a big step that we need you to take as you are, according to your ability, is to help out financially because we're going to have to raise a decent chunk of money to get into that building. Okay, but we'll keep you posted on all of that. As soon as there's some real numbers that we can talk about, uh, you will know. We will be sure to share that with you. All right, let me pray, and we'll have the worship team come back up. Jesus, you call us to hard things. You never said the Christian life would be easy. In fact, you said it would cost us everything. You said people who seek to save their lives will lose it, but those who lose their lives for the kingdom will gain it and live. That's what we seek to do. We don't, we don't want, we don't need, we don't pursue an easy faith. We want you. Whatever the cost is, and whatever that looks like, just help us. Help us to obey you and to live as disciples of Jesus on this earth that so desperately needs to see the real deal, that so desperately needs people who aren't perfect, but they're serious about pursuing, obeying Jesus Christ. And so I pray, particularly in these sensitive things, where, where today we've been reminded that wives are called on to submit to the, the loving leadership and sometimes not loving, sometimes just downright bad leadership of their husbands. God, I think if I'm thinking of any women that might be in a difficult situation, if there are any wives here who they're not sure how far they should go in that, would you just give them wisdom? Because there's no easy answers. And just give them wisdom. And just speak to that woman or women now who maybe just need to know if they're doing this right or if they're on the right track or if there are things they need to do differently. And I pray that uh, for those who have unbelieving husbands, that they would believe the gospel and join their wives and receive an eternal life and be on mission together here on this earth. God, I pray for us as husbands. It's hard. We're selfish. We're lazy. We're just so many things that get in the way. We need your help. God, we want to do it right and we want to do it well. And I pray that our wives would just have a ton of grace and uh, that they would receive even our, our feeble efforts as attempts uh, to love them as you love the church. Help us in that, we pray. And I pray that you be... Um, Continue to lead us as a church as we seek a building, as we seek a home. Open the doors that you want open. Close all the other ones. Uh, give us uh, the, the things that we need to move on to build your kingdom here in Lower Borough and on this earth. And uh, please um, receive what we're about to do in terms of worship uh, as an offering to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.